I want to ask you the question this morning as we go into the book of Acts again. And who loved the book of Acts? Have you learned a lot of things out of the book of Acts? It's a transition book, as long as you know that. We are part of this transitioning and taking place. A lot of churches built all of their doctrine and all of their worship and all of their church uh, 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 functions around the book of Acts. Which is not wrong, but you need to find out what part of the book of Acts the church is built on. Not all of it. And for those who come in late in the series, I think we started nearly a year ago. <laughs> it's all online, it's all on YouTube, you can go and listen to it, but uh, it's important for you and me to know. You know, what is doctrine? Doctrine is a code of belief. What do you believe? This is what the book of Acts tells us. We are in the church age. This is the church age, also known as the dispensation of grace. The dispensation of grace. Soon and very soon, this dispensation will come to an end. The dispensation of grace. The church age. That is when the Lord will come and He will take the church out of the world. It's a time that you do not want to be on the world. Churches will be empty. The true children of God will not be there. And they say, you keep on saying it, you're a madman. That's fine. Keep on saying it until that day happens. Then we will see who, who is the madman and the mad woman. It's coming. It's happening. It's really coming. Oh, but you're saying all of these years and so many people have been saying it, preacher. It's not happening. It is going to happen. If it's written in your Bible, it is going to happen. It will happen. It's coming, not to a city near you. It's coming to the church where you're, where you're fellowshipping in. You might turn up here when it happens and there's only a few people and you think everybody is sick. No, they're not sick. They've departed. Amen. They've gone to another place. You might call up and you, you will get all these answers. You know, hi, this is John Shipman. Just leave a message. I keep on calling him, but he doesn't answer. How rude of him. Well, I won't be here anymore. Will you be here anymore? The dispensation of grace. This is where we're sitting today. And while the time is still good for you to hear the voice of the Lord, please, my friend, listen to me. People online, hear His word. Because there cometh a time where you're going to run for His word and seek for it. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I've got a question for you. Are you hungry for righteousness? Are you really hungry for righteousness? We come to a man called Cornelius, you remember. A very devout man. A man who feared God with his whole household. He gave alms generously out. And he prayed continually to God. But as my brother said at the table, all of those works means nothing without the cross of Christ. You can do all of those things. And as I've said before, I reckon that this man, this centurion, Cornelius, a Gentile, he will put a lot of people in the church today to shame with the things which he did in his own power. Things which should become part of you as a child of God. It should become your works after the cross. It should become your works after the cross. 
Before the cross, it means nothing. It's good for society. It's good for people around when he gives out the arms and, and he gives out everything he's got. That's before the cross, it means nothing. You see, when you come towards the cross, it's in your own efforts. When you go on beyond the cross, it's in the spirit of God's power and might. You need to understand these concepts. Here is a good man, everybody would say. And then a wonderful thing happened to him. He had seen an angel. Have you seen an angel in your life? We're going to see a description of this angel soon. We're going to see that. We said to him, call a man whose name is Simon Peter, and this man will tell you the words, everybody say words, by which you and your household will be saved. At that point in time, Cornelius wasn't saved. He could have keep on praying. He could have keep on giving away everything. He could have keep on be, being a devout man. But he wasn't saved. How many people are still sitting in churches today who are not saved? You are doing all of the right things. You're playing game. You're playing actor. But you are not saved. I'm talking to you this morning. As the Word of God, as the Spirit of God is reaching out to your heart through the Holy Spirit. There are churches sitting full of people who will not go to heaven today. I'm sorry if it shocks you, but I need to say that. Here is a man, if Cornelius would have walked into this place, first of all, everybody would have said, Whoa, there's a centurion visiting our church. A centurion was a very important man in his day. I wonder if important people walk through these doors, how the church will react. We should not react. We should pray for that person who walked through these doors. That doesn't matter who they are. Oh, this, this is a very important... I see him every night on TV. He's coming to our church. And, and we look back now at other churches, what they do. They, they go, oh, we've got a great church because this so-and-so comes to our church. It means nothing if that person is not saved. What the church should do is they should preach the gospel from the pulpit so that that very important person gets saved. You ain't impressing me. I'm telling you honestly, there's nobody on this earth, this planet, who impresses me. I won't come into their presence in awe and get the shakings. Who, who, who is going to look at me? Who, who is such a... No, no, that doesn't even... It, it does nothing to me. What really pushes me is if that important person is saved. Here is Cornelius, a very important person, a brave man, a courageous man. He, I mean, if he walks in here, everybody would say, wow, that's a great Christian. But he's not saved. And that's the question you need to ask yourself this morning. Between you and God, am I saved? Did he really give me my stony heart, a heart of flesh? Did he really deposit his spirit within my? Did he really seal me with his Holy Spirit? And this is why I ask you the question, are you hungry this morning? Are you really hungry for righteousness? You see, the righteousness I'm talking about here is the righteousness of God, not your righteousness. Are you really living according to what God wants you to live? Listen, brothers and sisters, dear friend, madam, sir, whatever you want to be called by, I'm, I'm saying to you the time is now that you need to make sure about these things. Here is a Gentile who is seeking God. 
He's looking for God. He's got a hunger in his heart. He's reaching out to the God of the Jews. He's reaching out to the God of Israel. This is what you and I do. We're reaching out to the God of the Jews. His name is Jesus Christ. He's part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. Here is a man who's hungry. He's crying out. He's praying to God. We saw that last week. His prayer, after all of the good things he's doing, is, Lord, save my family. Lord, save my soul. He cries it out every single day before God. He says, Lord, save my family. Don't, Lord, give me a new house. Oh, Lord, bless me here on earth. This is the message the world's preaching today. There's a lot of churches. You won't find that message in this church. If you seek that message, you're in the wrong church. No, no. He's crying out. He says, Lord, save my family. If he is saved, he starts praying for his wife. If he is saved, he starts praying for his children. If they are saved, they start praying for their nephews and for their nieces. If they are saved, they start praying for their parents. What are you praying this morning? Are you hungry for God this morning? I've met somebody once and they said, oh, 20 years ago when the Lord saved my soul, and I say, where are you today? Have you still got the hunger for God? If I come up to you and I, and I take you and I look you in the eyes and I say, are you still serving God? Oh, yes, oh, yes, I'm doing that. I'm singing hallelujah. I'm doing, no, no, no. I'm asking you this morning, are you still serving God? Have you still got a hunger for God that you had when He saved your soul? Or have you become a little bit tame, lukewarm, run down? Oh, but you've got to understand, preacher. You know, I've read the Bible. I know every single page of that. And we're living in a tough world. No, no, I don't understand. I don't want to understand. I'm asking you this morning, are you hungry? Are you hungry for righteousness? You see, in the book of Jeremiah 29, 12, and by the way, I just want to say, do not trust going forward my presentations anymore. What am I saying? Bring your Bible, okay? Because I'm, I, they, I mean, I said it to somebody. They say, where do you find time to get the messages from God? No, no, I don't. I, the message of God starts after this sermon for next, next week, yes? And it, it continues building in my heart and prodding in my heart. And then I sit there last night and I pray and I put all of these together for your benefit. But this morning when I came here, the Lord already gave me a few new scriptures. And I haven't got time to update my spreadsheet, Okay? So you need to bring your Bible. Okay. But look at this here in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12. He says, then you will call upon me and pray to me. You will call upon me and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. This year is a call for somebody who's hungry for the Lord. If you are not hungry for the Lord, you will not call upon Him. This last week, let me do a quick test for you in your life. How many times this last week have you called upon the Lord? How many times? How many times today have you called upon the Lord? Have you already called upon the Lord today? Or are you saying, no, I'm coming to church, He will talk to me there. You can measure yourself quickly up whether you are hungry or not. If you haven't called once on Him this week, you're not hungry for Him anymore. If you haven't seeked Him, He says, call upon me and pray. How many times this week have you prayed to the Lord? 
Oh, but you don't understand, preacher. Life is so busy. I'm a busy mother. I need to make food for the children. I look, look after my husband. I need to go and work as well because we've got this mortgage. We've got all of these. You don't understand. It's a new age we're living in. It's a new culture we're living in. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, are you still hungry for the Lord? But you don't understand, I'm, I'm, I'm the breadwinner here, I'm the man, I'm, you know, I've got all of these other things. Brothers and sisters, nothing of that matters anything against your relationship with God. Here is the centurion crying out to God. He's a busy man. He's the centurion. He's got a hundred men reporting back to him. He's got a family. And it says him and his whole household. His whole household were fearing God. So he took the time to tell his household about this God. How Fathers, I'm talking to you now. Men, I'm talking to you now. How many times do you spend time with your children telling them about God? Now I'm asking you again, are you hungry? Are you hungry for the Lord? I'm planning, Vito, to finish chapter 10 today. Just bear with me. But this is important for us. We live in a generation who's after your mind. The TV is blaring every single day in your house and it captures your mind. The advertisements there, the places of the world is capturing your mind. It wants your time. How much time are you giving God? I'm asking you again, are you hungry for righteousness? Everybody said yes. Everybody shook their heads today, but maybe now you start saying, maybe I'm not so hungry as I should be. If that is you, then you're in the right place. So here we find this. He says, and I will listen to you. You see, so many people say, where is God when I need Him? No, He's always been there. But you only look for Him when you want Him. When you need Him. Now you need to keep on calling out to God every single time. He says, when you search for me with all of your heart, you will find me. James chapter 4 verse 7, he says, therefore submit to God. Here is the problem. This is a big problem, submit to God. We don't want to submit to God anymore. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many people want to fight the devil? The Bible never says you need to fight the devil. He says resist him. There's a different word there. He says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. He comes down to your sin. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, the preacher is very angry today, isn't he? Praise the Lord, my sister. I ask you again this morning, are you hungry for His righteousness? Here is a man, centurion, who's hungry for his righteousness. And we read now the account. You know, people want miracles. That's what they say. You know, in your church, I don't see the Holy Spirit working in your church. What do you want to see? You want me to oink, oink, and to do funny stuff and call it the Holy Spirit? You ain't going to get that here. If you haven't noticed, the Spirit has already worked this day. As soon as I open up His Word, as soon as I read, the, the, proclaim the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will take these scriptures off this page, over my voice, and He will drive it into your heart. That's how the Holy Spirit is going to work. And you know what's going to happen? If you allow Him, those words that's coming in, the Word of God will change you from the inside out. Come on, shout hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand in this place. Amen.
they submit to God. Why do we submit to God? Why do we draw near to Him? He will draw near to you if you call upon Him. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, love this. He says, therefore, He's also able to save, to save to the uttermost those, everybody say those, who come to God through Him. This is the gospel. He will save those who come to God through Him. Who's this Him? Come on, shout it out. Have you come to him through Jesus or are you coming through him like the centurion is doing through your own works? I love it when you're in step this morning, my brother, with the table. That's a confirmation of the word today again. Oh, the Holy Spirit's not in your church working. What do you want to see? The brother who come and do the table this morning. Have I contacted you during the week, my brother, and tell you what I'm going to say today? He talks about the things that I'm preaching about. Have you noticed? That's the Spirit of God. And He wants to talk to you in this place this morning. He is serious with you. I, I notice that there is a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land. This is what I say this morning as I prayed about this. The Lord changed the message a bit. So I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Amos. Small prophet the end of your New Testament, Old Testament, towards the end of the uh, Old Testament. We're coming into the big prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah. They were not big fat prophets, okay? They just wrote bigger books than the smaller prophets. And here we find this, and I want you to listen, because this is happening in our day. The Lord warns the nation of Israel with these words. Amos chapter 8. We may come to Cornelius I'm just going to trust the Lord, okay? I'm going to trust Him. But this is important to hear this morning because it's happening in our day. Amos chapter 8 verse 11. The Lord says through this prophet to the people, to the nation of Israel. Here, I want to put it in context so that nobody ever comes and say, Preacher, you pull stuff out of context. He's talking to the nation, but we can learn from this. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God. This is a word from God directed. He says that I will send a famine on the land. Do you know what a famine is? Have you lived through a famine? If you haven't lived through a famine, I haven't. I can't talk about it, you know, experience wise. But the people who live through this, there ain't food. It is terrible. And let me just say that there is a famine coming, a real famine coming. And I want to uh, 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 um, make you afraid of it. We trust in God. But look at this now. He says, I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst of water. What is he talking about then? He says, but of hearing the words of the Lord. But preacher, you don't understand. Man, there are so many churches all over the world. I've heard somebody say two weeks ago, Christians are multiplying. There's so many people becoming Christians. I don't know what they are, but there's a famine coming, he says, to his people. Now, now let's continue. He says, verse 12, They shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north to the east, they shall run to and fro, seeking, what? The word of the Lord, but shall not find it. 
I want to say to you today, there's a famine in the land today. Now, let me put it in context. This was for the Jews. The Lord said to them, there's a famine coming. I'm going to return my word. I'm not going to talk to you. And it happened. After these small prophets prophesied, who's the last prophet in your Bible? Malachi, yeah? Have you noticed in your Bible, if you, if you turn to that uh, uh, prophet, and you look at Malachi, and then you see at the end of Malachi, whoops, there's nothing. Have you noticed? Look at my Bible, there's nothing there. It's new, white pages. Oh, but you need to turn over, isn't it, Paulson? Yep, I do, but, but, but in mine it says what? Say, New Testament. So there's a divide between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's right there. He says to the, to the prophets, just before you find these blank pages in your Bible, he says there's going to come a famine. You see these pages, what you don't see here is written on these pages is 400 years of God not speaking to his people. 400 years. How many? Have you lived 400 years? There'd be a problem. 400 years, we find nothing, nothing. Then, a man walks out of the wilderness once, John the Baptist. And everybody flocks to him. Why? Because there was a famine in the land. Let me say, this famine I'm talking about here, or what the word talks about here, was the famine that God brought down. Okay? So we can sit here and say, but Lord, you kept back your word. You said you're going to bring this on. Yes, he had a purpose for that. And then we find the New Testament, the New Covenant. But I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, there is a famine in the land today. It's a self-imposed famine. A self-imposed famine. Because the people do not want to preach the Word of God any longer. If you open up in John chapter 1, verse 1, what, is, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word. It's in the New Testament. He sent His Son, the Word. God said in the Old Testament, there's not going to be a Word to you anymore. You can run from east to west, north, south, island to island. There's not a Word. But these days, people do not want to preach the Word of God anymore. There's a famine in the land today. There will not be a famine in this church. The brothers who come to the table, I said to them, as long as you preach the Word of God from the table. And if you find this preacher never still going away from the Word of God, you need to leave this church. Because then you're in trouble. Can we hold each other to that? Can we? You hold me to that. If this preacher starts preaching any other thing than the Word of God, you leave this church, okay? Or you tell me to leave. Is that a deal? But you see, there's a famine. Now, these days... Churches say, oh no, we need to change how we do church to adapt to the culture. Have you heard that? We need to change to the culture because the young people don't want to come to church anymore. I'll tell you why the young people don't want to come to church anymore. It's because of these, these uh, church programs that's going through churches now. Children need to come and sit and listen to the Word of God preached. Yeah, but you've got it there, right there next door. You, I, I, we can go all to, my, to, to the Sunday school now. My, my wife is teaching your children how to use the Bible. And it's, you know what she does? Just bear with me. We're going to get to Acts chapter 10. Is it okay? I was going to do it anyway. 
You know what she does? What a lot of people in church can't even do. So get your children and say, I want you to read out of the Bible and I want you to use the index and start finding the scripture verses in the Bible. That's what they teach me at all. Can you do it? I ask you again this morning, are you hungry for the word of God? Are you hungry for righteousness? Yuri is a centurion. He's doing all the right things according to man. I mean, if he walks into a church, they'll put him on the church council. He's an important man. He's doing all the right things. He wears a suit with a tie. He smiles when he needs to smile. He hallelujah when he needs to hallelujah. But there's one thing about this centurion. He's got a hunger for God. And that's what I see through all of the other things. He's got a hunger for God. He's got a hunger for God. He says, God, I hunger for your righteousness. I hunger for you, God. I hunger for you, God. Are you crying it out? Are you hungry for Him every single day? You see, you see your life is a mess because you're not hungry for God anymore. Our youth is not hungry for God anymore. Our little children is not young, hungry for God anymore. Why? Because they look at their parents and their parents aren't hungry for God anymore. Your children will follow you. Mom and dad, your children will pray how you pray. Don't just tell them to go and do it. I haven't got a chip on my shoulder, but I'm just feeling this morning we need to know. You need to ask yourself if you're hungry for God and for His righteousness. Those words, by the way, which I used, is in the Beatitudes. <laughs> That's in the Beatitudes. That's what Jesus said. It wasn't my words. You know, He said, those who are hungry for righteousness, Go read it in Matthew chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, the time is now to come to the Lord. Let's look in verse 23. Acts 10, 23. Now we find this man, Cornelius, he's so hungry for God, I want to show you his hunger. I want to ask you to put yourself next to this man and, and see if you, if you in, inhibit this hunger that he's got. He says, then he invited them in and lodged them. This is Peter. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Look at verse 24 for now. He says, and the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. I want you to experience this man's excitement now. An angel appeared to him. He says, send somebody to go and get Peter. He didn't even know Peter. He could have walked past Peter in the street, not recognize him. It's not as if he knew Peter. It's a stranger to him. The angel says, there's going to be a man there. Peter is James, James Peter. Bring him over. He sends his men. God appears to Peter. He says, there's a man there. Cornelius, go to Cornelius. He's never seen Cornelius. Can you see this? what's happening here? Now he goes to him, and here is Cornelius waiting for him. Brothers and sisters, are you still waiting for the Lord? Are you still waiting for a word from the Lord? He's waiting for the word from the Lord. Why? Because the Lord, the angel said to him, go and call Peter, and he will tell you the words by which you need to be saved. Now he's waiting. He says, now he was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. Wow, this is a man who's hungry for the Lord. 
Not only for me. He's thinking about his relatives and his friends. He's bringing a crowd together. He says, I need to tell you something. An angel appeared to me. Woo, really? An angel? Wow, that's fantastic. Forget about that. It's not about the angel. It's what the angel said. What did he say? There's a man coming to you and he's going to give you the words by which you're going to be saved. He brings his friends together. He's not ashamed of it. His relatives. His relatives, his family members and close friends. I wonder your close friends if they know that you're a Christian, a child of God. Do they? Do they? And here he brings them all together. You see, this is what he is. He's, he's hungry for righteousness, this man. These are words there. He's excited. Psalm 42, I, I, I love it when the psalmist said, you know what Psalm 42 says? He, he talks about the deer that panteth for the water. You know that part? We sing a song, as the deer panteth for the water. He's thirsty for the water, the deer. You know what psalm I'm talking about? Brenda, can you open it up quickly? Oh, the water, so my soul longs after thee. My soul longs after thee. Do you know what, what a deer did? You know, when a deer runs through, through the wilderness, running behind him is a pack of, 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 of uh, dogs, yes? These dogs, these wild dogs. What do the dogs want to do? They want to kill the deer. They want to eat the deer. And as this deer runs, what are they following? The stench, the smell of the deer. They run after it. It doesn't matter where that deer goes. It hides behind. They smell him. They smell him out until they find him. Have you seen these dogs? He runs as fast as he can to the highest point. They go to the highest point. They, he goes sneaking somewhere. They go sneaking somewhere. No, the only place where a deer can get away from them is where? The streams of water. As soon as the deer jumps into the water, what happens? They lose that track. Brothers and sisters, it's so beautiful. You and I are running around with the stains of sin. And you know who's after us? The pack of wild dogs of Satan, it wants to destroy you. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion. He's trying to destroy you. And where are we running? Everywhere we run, sin follows us. It's when we plunge ourselves into the living water that the stains goes away. This man has found it. Let's continue on. Verse 25, as Peter was coming in. I love this. This is absolutely fascinating for me. Two people who didn't know each other. They got, a, they got a vision from God. Cornelius met him and he fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself is also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. What a surprise. What an absolute surprise. God sends him for one man. He walks in and here is a crowd. Woo! Talk about an opportunity. Talk about a surprise. He was absolutely surprised, Peter. Remember, here is a Jew who was not allowed to go into a Gentile's house. But I look at this, and brothers and sisters, we need to listen here. You see, we do not worship man. We do not worship man. I want to just say a few words about this. Why? Because they don't last. If you worship a man, they won't last. Let me just tell you. 
I've been preaching now for, I think it's close to 30 years. We've had a lot of people coming and going in church. And I've had people coming and say, oh, pastor, you know, we don't, we'll never leave this church. And I go, yeah, you should leave this church. I don't build churches. We don't build the following. But there's going to come a day when you're going to get sick and tired of the South African accent. It's just natural. Fine with that. I'm okay with that. I'm okay if you, I mean, honestly, if you come to me and say, man, I can't listen to that accent one day any longer. <laughs> then I'll get oral up here so that you can listen to an Indian accent, okay? <laughs> but you will get tired of oral's accent as well. Because we are just people. We grow up. You listen to somebody and say, oh, I love this preacher. He's my most favorite preacher. You shouldn't stay your most favorite preacher for long because you will start following the preacher instead of God. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to follow me because I'm a man like you. I'm a person like you. I'm not faithful. Oh, he's got big sins in his life. That's what I'm saying. I'm not faithful like God. I've got my faults. I've got my things. I'm going to disappoint you. Oh, have I disappointed a lot of people in my life? Yes, I have. Are you going to be disappointed with me? If you follow me like you follow God, yes, you're going to be disappointed. But here we find it. Peter says to him, no, 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 stand up. You don't worship man. But when I look today into a lot of churches, people are following people. Wow, man. They are following all of these super, super preachers. I said it to somebody last night. These days, if you get somebody who's got just enough Bible knowledge to be dangerous and charismatic, you will have a following. That's it. Charisma should be nothing on the pulpit. Oh, I don't go to that church because that guy talks in a monotone. Maybe I should try it one Sunday. <laughs> no, no, brothers and sisters, we do not follow man. In Psalm verse 43, he says, he put a new song in the heart of praise of God. Many will see the fear and put their trust in the Lord. Who should we put our trust in? In the Lord. He's the only one. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, those who go astray after a lie. He says, put your trust in God alone, not in man. Hey, hey, Cornelius, stand up quickly, quickly. I'm Peter. Look, I'm nothing. I'm absolutely nothing. I reckon Peter would have said the same things I said here today. Do not follow a man. I'm asking you. I'm begging you this morning. Whomever you find in your life. Look, the Lord sent us encouragers. That's fine. But they are just next to you, a brother and a sister. Do not put anybody on a pedestal because they will come tumbling down. How many preachers over the life? I'm not going to name names. You see, they go astray and they go after lies. This is what you know, David said to us. He said the wicked. These are wicked. They are strange from the womb. They go as soon as they are born speaking lies. That's all of us. Jeremiah 17.5 Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Have you heard that one? Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away 
from the Lord. I endeavor to finish this chapter. Let's continue on. He says in verse 28, Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or to go into one of another nation. This is Peter now. He says, But God. Everybody says, But God. You need to do a Bible study about but God. That's a wonderful study. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent for me? I find it fascinating. The Lord says to him, go and see Cornelius. He comes into them and he says, why did you send me? It doesn't make sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Until I realize. What did I ask you? Are you still hungry for the Lord? He's testing the hunger here. Why have you sent me? Why am I here? What am I doing here? He says to them. Now obviously he didn't know what the Lord said to Cornelius. You see, in Mark chapter 2 verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So many times people come to me and they say, You've got to go and see this person. You've got to go and see that person. And I will. Lord sends me. I have over the years go and see people and they don't want to hear the gospel of God at all. Oh, but your auntie said I need to come and talk to you because you need God. They don't want God. What am I doing there? I'm not talking about proclaiming the gospel like Sean do in the street, you know, proclaiming the gospel. I'm talking about people coming and saying, that person, I'm going to send my, man, if my pastor walks in, you will serve the Lord. I'm telling you that. Then you walk in there and they don't want the Lord. And I say it so often to people. I mean, it's not as if the doctor comes and knocks on your door and he goes, Hey, Vito, are you okay today? The doctor don't do that, do they? If you've got a doctor like that, keep him. He's a good doctor. <laughs> when do you see the doctor? When you are sick. And now, who goes to the doctor? You go to the doctor. And this is what Jesus said to these people. He says, I come for the sick. I come for those. Now I know there's a lot of people who are sick and they don't even know they are sick. With the sickness of sin. It's not a sickness, it's a sin. And we need to repent from that. Verse 30, he says, so Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And in the ninth hour, it's around about three o'clock in the afternoon, <coughs> I prayed in the house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Remember when he said in, in, in the previous part, an angel appeared to him? Now everybody's thinking, wow, it's an angel with feathers and, you know, the face. No, no, it was a man. So the angel came in a form as a man. It's right there. But there was something interesting about it. It was bright clothing. He was shining. Remember when it happened, when Cornelius saw this? He fell down. He was so afraid. He was so afraid, and the angel said, no, no, I came to you to tell you that God hurt you. So this is an angel. This is how he's appearing before him. He says, the angel came and said, Cornelius, your prayers has been answered and heard, and your arms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose name is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. 
So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, look at the hunger here. We are all present before God. We are eager. Come on, I'm hungry. To hear all the things commanded to you by God. What did God command him to do? Go and preach the gospel. Peter needed to hear this. Because Peter, he was telling Peter everything that happened to Peter. He said to him, you know, how did this man Cornelius knew he was living in the house of Simon the Tanner? No, no, God is involved here. But we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened up his mouth and he said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Oh man. And a lot of people will say, You see, there's just good works will bring you to God. No, no, no. If that was so, he wouldn't have kept on preaching the gospel. But, but he continues on. That's going to come on. He continues on. He says, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, His Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all of Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which is John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, and went on about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are his witnesses with, of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on the tree. So he's preaching the gospel here, okay? He tells them, this is Jesus Christ. They did all the works, but now you need to come to the one who died for you on the cross. In verse 40, in him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge over the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sin." This is the gospel. He says it there through his name. Whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sin. Now you sit here today and you say, yes, I believe. And you know what? So does the Muslims also believe. They believe Jesus is a prophet. So does the Jehovah Witnesses believe Jesus is an angel. So there's so many people, the Buddhists believe, the Buddha, they believe Jesus is one of their gods. So is this the belief he's talking about? No. No, this, is, this goes a little bit further. You see, this is what Paul talks about in Romans. Let's look at Romans quickly. That shouldn't be white. Can you read that? You see, this is why I don't want to trust. I don't want to trust. How did that happen? That's better. Look at Romans chapter 10 verse 9. He says that if you confess, everybody say confess. Yes. With your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
He talks about confessing here. The word there for confess is the Greek word homologio. It means to say the same thing as another or to be in agreement with one another. Now let's read it again. He says, if you confess with your mouth, if you agree with your mouth, if you say the same thing, and that is that the Lord Jesus is God, and believe with your heart that He has raised from the dead, you will be saved. Is that what you believe this morning? All those other faiths don't believe that. They don't believe that Jesus is Lord. They don't believe He's the Son of God. They don't believe He was risen from the grave. You go and say this out in the world, they will say, oh, you are cuckoos, man. There's nothing up there. That's what the world will say. But he says it right here. Now, I love it when Cornelius, when Peter preached to them, he says to them, if you believe, and while Peter was still speaking these words, a wonderful thing happens. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those who of the circumcision who believed were astonished. And as many as came with Peter because of the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the, the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered and he said, Can anyone forbid these that they should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days wonderful thing. You see, this is exactly the same that happened in Acts chapter 2. But why did it happen here again? Because God showed Peter and those six men or seven men who was with him that this is the Holy Spirit. They came out and they started speaking in other tongues. And these men went, wow, it's the same that happened with us. The Holy Spirit came out, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were baptized in the Spirit. Now, look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, when, when Paul writes this. He says, the only thing I want to learn from you is, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did they receive the Holy Spirit? By the hearing of faith. No works. No works that they do. No works. Brother... Oral said at the table this morning, have you received the Holy Spirit? That's a good question. I ask you this morning, are you hungry for the Lord? Have you received the Holy Spirit? You say, preacher, I don't know. Some might say, I don't know. I want to take you through this. Remember I said to you that Acts is a transitional book. We will end with this. I'm nearly finished. Look in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. You need to see this. Peter in Jerusalem. Then Peter said to them, repent. That takes care of your sin. That justifies you. That's justification. When you come to the cross and you ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sin." And then you shall receive the Holy Spirit. When? After you were baptized. Do you see that? It's clear. He was talking to Jews. A nation who knows baptism. A nation, if you want to become a Jew, you need to be baptized to become a Jew. A nation who was standing with John the Baptist there on the river at Betabara. And he came to them and he says, be baptized for the remission of sin. They know all about this. He says to them, 
Repent. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. That is not the model for the church of today. I know there's a lot of churches. I come out of the chain of those churches as well. They say when you get born again, you need to water baptize and then they pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And if you are living in this time and if you live with Peter in Jerusalem, that's fine. You can do that. But then we continue on and we see in this transition in Samaria, same man, Peter, he went down to see what's happening there. And when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for the this is now for the Sumerians. For the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. They only had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they've already had the water baptism. But the Holy Spirit didn't fall on them. So what happened here? They laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. That is not the model for the church today. I know, there's people who say, whoa, 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 why do you want to tell me that that's not right? No, no, I'm just telling what the Bible says. When we started in the book of Acts, I said, you're going to be amazed how to see the transition happening. Remember, Paul was in Arabia, in the desert of Arabia, for three years with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the words when he preached the gospel, and we're going to compare them when Peter preaches the gospel. You say to me, whoa, wait a minute then. How do I get baptized? And when do I get baptized? The Bible declares that clearly. Look at this now. Here with the Gentiles. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Were they baptized? They were not water baptized yet. Oh, preacher, are you now saying that baptism is not important? By far not. That's not what I'm saying. Baptism is instituted by Jesus, and that is important. But now something has changed. I hope you see this. What happened here? While he was still speaking the words of life to them, while he was proclaiming the gospel to them, what happened with them when he preached it? They became born again. They started to believe in him. You remember? Shall I go back to those verses? Just quickly, just quickly. When Peter was still speaking the words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. What did he preach to them? One step back. He started preaching them that they need to confess. He says, he preaches to them Jesus Christ, the gospel. He went through, through his name. Whoever believes in him will receive the remission of their sins. They will be saved. While that happens, while that happens, you know, what happens? The, he was preaching the words of faith. While they hear the words of faith, they receive the Lord. They cry out to the Lord and he's saved them and when that happened while he was still speaking the Holy Spirit fell upon them all those who heard the word and then what did Peter say he said you must be baptized so he didn't take the baptism away he says you still need to be baptized in the Lord if you are sitting here today and you haven't been water baptized I'm not a crocodile I'm not going to pull you to the water you're going to walk yourself but I'm telling you it's important because it's a step of obedience to the Lord. And secondly, when, what, what is that thing? What is it simply? What does it bring? It shows to everybody as a witness what happened on the inside. It is a funeral that takes place. But let us not combine it with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because that's not the model of the church today. Now, let me finish there. What are you then saying? You see... In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8, 
is not the pattern for the church today. And a lot of churches hold on to it as the pattern. As a lot of churches will say that speaking in tongues is a sign that you are saved. It's not. There's nowhere in the Bible saying that. And I can talk to you and I can, I can go through the scriptures with you. So when then, preacher? Well, this should become one of your most famous verses in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Again, who's talking here? Paul. Who spent three years with Jesus in the desert of Arabia? Paul. Who received the gospel? Where did he receive it from? From Jesus. Is it a different gospel? No, it's the same. It's the same. But it's transitioned now into the Jews as well. And what does it say here? I want you to listen. If this is not underlined in your Bible, you should do so. You should this whole week, if you haven't seen this verse, open up and read it every single day of this week so that it becomes part of you. Let's listen to this. He says, in him you also trusted. Who's him? Be with me, church. I know it's been a long day. Be with me. Who's the him? Jesus. Jesus. In Jesus you trusted. How did you trust in him? When you heard the gospel. When you heard the gospel, the words of faith. The same that the centurion heard. The same that his family heard. When they heard the gospel, what happened? The spirit fell on them. When they heard the gospel, it's the same. He says... When you trusted, after you heard the word of truth. There it is. After you've what? After you were baptized. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed. Have you believed in it? What happened at that point in time? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee. Guarantee there means it's a down payment. It's not the full load. It's, oh man, I can preach about that. Of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise and glory of... It's not a different gospel I'm preaching. I am preaching the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I am preaching the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm also preaching that the, you know, uh, um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 is operating in our lives. But let's get it right. For this church, we're going to people and we preach the gospel. That's all we need to do. And we leave the rest over to the Holy Spirit. Because He comes at the point when you, uh, at the foot of the cross and confess your sin, what happens? He fills you with the Holy Spirit. Oh, but what then of the filling? What, why did He say to them to go and wait? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Yes, He empowers you as well for ministry. There is a filling of the Holy Spirit as well. Finish with this. I think it's the last verse. Peter ascribed to this baptism in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 11, verse 15. We're going to come to that. Look at Peter himself saying just what I said to you. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Just fell upon them. Then I remembered. When, when the Spirit fell on them, Peter goes, I remembered something. What did you remember? The word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with? Come on church, with what? But you shall be baptized with? I rest my case in the word of God. Yes, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it's not according to the first principles or the first chapters or the moral in the first. We, he said, I remember what the Lord said. How wonderful is that? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I promise this is the last verse. 
For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. This is what happened to Cornelius. This is what happened to each one in this church who came to the cross and repented of your sin, and the Lord stretched down and He forgave you your sins. And what is happening now? This is what we call justification. Now we're busy in a sanctification where we are now being cleansed day by day. And then we're going to be glorified. Now, now, to my brother's point, when he said at the table, we are justified. He came with his Holy Spirit and he cleansed us. We need the Holy Spirit in your lives to be sanctified. You can't do it in your own power. You're right, my brother. You cannot. All you will do is you will write you a list of rules and laws and regulations. You will not be able to follow them. You will not. Just ask me when I come to one famous cake. You can't. You can't do it on your own. Have we learned something today? I want to end today by asking you, are you hungry for the Lord today? Keep that hunger, brothers and sisters. Let us continue to follow the Lord. Let His Spirit continue to work in us. Like I said before, it's a transitional book. It might challenge your view. It challenged my view, but at the end of the day, we need to come to the, word, the Lord's view, which is His Word. Amen. Heavenly Father, we worship You in this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You. Your Word is sharper than a two-edged sword, Father. First of all, it's living. It cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And Father, I like this part in the verse. It is the discerner of the heart. Father, if you've discerned in your hearts, even myself preaching this morning, to become more hungry and Father, to stay at, your, at the foot of the cross and to learn from you, Father, and to walk in righteousness, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit help us. Help us, Father. Thank you, Lord, that we learn from this. That you, you, this was written down for us, Father, as an instruction in righteousness. And we learn from that in Jesus' name. Amen.